Hi there, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Taste Talk with me, your host, Jenny Radcliffe. I want to say welcome to all our Tuesday Taste Talkers who can join us in the chat and ask questions today. Today's show is all about recruitment and about redesigning your cybersecurity recruitment strategy. So I know that this always gets our Taste Talk audience very engaged and involved. Um, so we're looking forward to all your participation. I'm joined by a cracking panel for this one. Uh, in a moment, Mike Johnson, who's the Cyber Threat Intelligence and Instant Response Manager with, with you, with me, will be joining me to talk about our news item as well as our main topic. And we'll be joined later by Andy Giles, who's Head of Security and Resilience at Nationwide Building Society, as well as Sama Adi is the CISO from Green Shield in Canada. And as I say, talking all about recruitment, and there's a few people in the news who might be looking for new positions. Maybe their next job is in cyber and they just don't know it yet. I'm probably hoping that that's not going to be the case. Now, today, Tice Talkers, we do have a cracking piece of swag for the best questions and comments from all of you. It isn't a Tice Talk mug but it is Tice Talk branded merchandise. And a little bit later on, we'll get our Tice Talk goblin. <gasps> we nearly saw it. Uh, whenever you're ready, our Tice Talk goblin will show you a little picture of what you could win. It's very seasonal. And perhaps, goblin, we can bring it back up if you were ready to go for it. It's a seasonal Tice Talk uh, piece of merchandise. So instead of a mug, you're going to get a very cool Tice Talk cooler bag look at that now that is going to be very useful so don't forget we want the best comments and questions from all of you today so without further ado i'm going to welcome on to the stage mike johnson who's the cyber threat intelligence and incident response manager at with you with me friend of the show who's been on before hi mike how are you yeah i'm good thanks how are you i'm not too bad is it warm enough for you after that taste talk cooler bag far too hot to be honest with you <laughs> so we need that to go for a tice picnic maybe in september if it's still hot when we're live in london with me and jeff white so mike you're on buddy we are talking about cyber security recruitment strategies and today's article uh, is all about this it's from tech republic and it's a new report that uh it's an article about a new report that came out from isc square um, if we can just have a quick look at the article up top. Um, it's really just, uh, I thought this was a good article, mate. It was quite granular, wasn't it? It went to some detail about what ISC found um, in their poll. No, definitely. <clears throat> so it was, uh, there was a couple of different things, I suppose, that it focused on. But it's the usual story. It says that hiring managers are struggling to fill positions uh, particularly at senior levels. So they're looking for entry-level and junior staff to fill positions. That's the sort of umbrella headline, mate. What were your thoughts on the article? I thought it was uh, quite accurate. I mean, we've likely all seen the unrealistic job descriptions. Um, you'll see like a level one cyber analyst that needs seven years of reverse engineering malware experience and things that are, I'd consider quite senior skill set. I mean, don't get me wrong, having a slight amount of knowledge about the area yeah that makes sense but when you've got these hard requirements for things that i don't think any entry-level person should be sort of just thrown into i mean if it's part of the job build up and developing it but when you're looking at it, it's going to put a lot of people off 
And there's already a lot of imposter syndrome within the industry as it stands. Mm. So if you've got these unrealistic sort of requirements and expectations, people going into the sort of moving into the field are going to sit there with that. They're going to go in with imposter syndrome as opposed to develop it later down the career. Yeah, I mean, there's always this debate, and I'm sure we'll have it with the rest of the panel a little bit later, but there's always this debate of, um, I mean, they did ask 45% of the respondents, there was over 1,000 respondents to this big survey by ISC Square, and 45% of them said they relied on standard job postings and descriptions. And I just wonder if that's like really what we're talking about, is it? Is it just that it's sort of easy to sort of cut and paste without giving it too much thought? And then we end up this kind of overspecced alphabet soup and, you know, it sort of puts people off. I think some of it stems from um, there's obviously um, hiring managers might not necessarily have the technical background or the in-depth knowledge, but they're kind of the ones that are the front line of the recruitment process in a lot of organisations. So you've got the security personnel who are hiring for the position, sort of going, we need this, this and this. And then you'll have likely have the hiring manager going to pack it out or to just sort of, let's see where I can get information and broaden this a little bit. And I think there's probably a breakdown in the fact that if you do look at these generic specs, it's, I want everything. And like a level one security analyst, I want them to know all of this with five years experience doing IT or systems administration. And it kind of defeats the point of having that entry level or junior role. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to, I think what we'll do, we'll ask our panel a little bit about this, but I'm going to ask you first, I mean, in your experience, how did you overcome that type of thing when you've tried to hire in or when you've seen seen it happen in the industry? Have you ever seen someone get round it effectively? For me, it's all about the, the person. Um, there's sort of, I like attitude and sort of passion and drive. And they're two things you can't teach. So if you have that conversation with someone and you can tell that they've got that passion, they might not have the technical background. They might not have had that skill set or knowledge base. But yeah, if you okay. can sort of, you get that feeling for someone, you go, okay, I know that they're going to, drive and work for this and i think that sort of that helps because you can sort of overcome the i don't need someone with all these sort of requirements because they've got that drive they've got that passion they just need that direction and that sort of lack to go into the role yeah yeah well you know i'm gonna bring on uh, andy giles who's head of security and resilience from nationwide building society now just to add to this conversation uh thank you mike so Andy, if you could switch on your camera and your mic for me and we can welcome you to the stage. We are having some technical issues with our third panellist, and we are trying to fix them now for summer. So, hi, Andy. Welcome to Ty's Talk. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Um, we're just talking about this article, first of all, Andy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just wondered uh, what you thought of it initially. Uh, the, the main gist of it is that they're looking to fill entry-level and junior Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, they're looking for entry level and junior staff to fill more senior positions just because of the skills shortage. Do you think yeah. that that's something that's still real for people in in cyber? No, I do think so, and passionately agree with what Mike was just just describing. There, we see the same pattern. Um, I think there are a number of aspects to this, and notwithstanding the fact that many hiring managers, just to build on on Mike your point, was to say that. A lot of hiring managers have worked really, really hard to get their certifications. They've worked really, really hard to get where they are. So asking those guys and girls to think differently about not hiring for themselves psychologically is quite difficult for them, I think, sometimes. So some of the recommendations that came to the IC report around working closely with HR, being on the same page as a leadership team is really, really important. Um, 
And in particular, what you described, Rhymes, that kind of intellectual curiosity, the things you just can't teach mm. are absolutely critical. And if we're really honest, right, a lot of developers, uh, a lot of uh, IT support staff spend a lot of time researching, either on Google, and that's because they're trying to you know, overcome the challenges that be set by new technologies. So research, coupled with interpersonal skills, coupled with a thirst for learning, I think are arguably more important than traditional skill sets. Now, there will always be a, a requirement for hard skills like Java developers, for example. Mm. But if you hire at the right point and potentially reach deeper into the higher education system, you can, I think you, you truly can grow your own, but it requires a bit of foresight to do so. You know, it's interesting that you say that because, and I'll come back to Mike as well on this one, but it does say uh, one of the article, one of the recommendations or the points made in the article is that if we look outside the traditional pool uh, for newcomers to the field, that we might, you know, benefit from that. And we always end up talking about this on Talk When we talk mm-hmm. about recruitment, everyone always says, oh, yes, we don't just want people from the same backgrounds. We're going to look for people who are changing uh, careers and that type of thing. It still keeps coming up there. I'm just wondering what we're missing. Mike, maybe first. What do you think? I think with the sort of different backgrounds, it's there's no one size fits all. And again, during like the interview process, you can determine if someone's got sort of certain characteristics that might be really beneficial, as opposed mm. to they, again, they might not have them hard skills. They might not have spent ten years as a network engineer or a systems administrator, but they've got that sort of inquisitive mindset. They've worked in different fields like um grc and compliance people who've worked in a sort of admin based role like accountancy or uh-huh. a legal background fit into grc very well again they've not got maybe the necessarily the technical background or knowledge but they've got that admin side of things they've got that way of thinking policy writing and things like that that it's a skill that again could be quite hard to teach someone who comes from a slightly more technical background and has it's that sort of left brain right brain sort of scenario where you've got people who are good at one thing that aren't necessarily as strong at the other sure. but it's about harnessing everyone's everyone's uniqueness to a lot of extent and sort of pulling out people's strengths yeah i mean i mean and did you do that i mean do you, have you if you had experiences of or have seen an example where you've brought someone in even from within the company because the article talks about that as well kind of poaching people yeah. <laughs> you know there's a good person working in some different part of the company i think i like that attitude we can train the tech do you bring mm. people in from backgrounds other than technical and computing? Yeah, we do. In fact, we actively look for people without those hard skills. So in our consultancy, so I look after our main portfolio, our change portfolio, and also our consultancy teams. Right. What, we, what we've done with those guys is to say, yes, you require some hard skills, but actually not always. And, and what we've done is we've actually placed two individuals who were on our internal talent list into the consultancy pool because they come from a GRC and engagement space and they offered really good, really positive soft skill behaviours that are paying off. And what that's actually doing is changing the culture of that consultancy team to be a bit more customer focused. So you can you can absolutely do it. Mm. Um, and, and nationwide, we tend to recruit for, for our core competencies first aligned to our values. And that's what our question sets are based on before mm-hmm. we go into the hard skills. And the hard skills maybe get one question if we're lucky. So we're always recruiting for behavior. Pros and cons to that, I think if you're going to do that, you have to be pretty sure you've got a learning pipeline and support model in place to support them because as anyone who's embarked on learning in cyber or tech knows, um, it is a bit of a roller coaster as you're getting used to the differences and the difficulties of some of those subjects. 
Mm. I, I think there are a lot of issues with this. And, uh, you know, we've got a, a whole kind of show to talk about it. But I just want to stay in this article just for a bit longer because it kind of chimes with what both of you said. They give some tech skills. And just for our taste talkers uh, in the background, the, the top five tech skills that they said their respondents were interested in were data security, cloud security, secure software development, data analysis and security administration. I don't think there's any... I wasn't surprised that they were the skills that they that seemed to be uh, they wanted. But the non-tech part, <laughs> you've got to be able to work in a team and work independently. Project management skills, customer service experience and presentation skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe come to Mike first. I found that a strange cornucopia of talents they were looking for. Yeah, I think soft skills are definitely important and depending on how your like, organization security team stacked up, a lot of the time your security team can act almost in a customer service manner. It yeah. could be that they're dealing with authentication requests. It could be that they're having to reach out to users who have triggered alerts and things. And you've got to have that soft skill because, again, some organizations, you don't want to come across as a totalitarian security regime no. because, again, you it's driving that security because culture. Because we do sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's all about that security culture, and you don't want to be the big, scary security team that doesn't let anyone have fun because no. that doesn't bode well. People don't respond well to that. So having them soft skills and sort of being the friendly face is quite helpful in that manner. Um, well, I, yeah. Sorry, come on. But, again, it's that sort of um, presenting things. It could be that you're having to present to, like, executives or senior managers about findings why do we need to patch these vulnerabilities well here's my research here's my presentation here's the value adding things like that and having them interpersonal skills is hugely important because a lot of the time you are either trying to justify why something needs fixed or explaining to people who maybe don't have an in-depth technical knowledge why things are unsafe and why they need to be mitigated but without alienating people yeah i mean I, just to come to Andy, the final five for personality, and it touches on what both of you say, is there's um, the personality kind of traits that most of the respondents who were senior um, in management positions, uh, CC positions in tech, were problem solving, mm-hmm. creativity. Mm-hmm. I was really pleased to see creativity there. I, I think I think I was a little bit. You know, I think I was a bit pleasantly surprised that creativity. I don't know yeah. why, because I suppose it is part of the skill set, Andy. Well, if we if we strip it back, it's kind of aligned to presentation, isn't it? A little bit because yeah. cybersecurity is quite a young profession. It for a few years has struggled to gain traction. There's lots of writing about how CISO struggle to get on the board, and that's for for a really clear reason. They're not business aligned a lot of the time, and they can't mm. speak business language a lot of the time. So understanding the, the problems that businesses are facing, if we use the vulnerability example, sometimes linking vulnerability to a computer system or a website or an app that generates a certain amount of revenue, yeah. it's a really powerful descriptor because it allows you to talk language that the business understands. Yeah. And then you start to get attention. That requires critical thinking, creativity in terms of how you phrase it and present that to get the buy-in that you need that strips with the technical detail. Yeah, the critical practice. thinking, desire to learn, analytical thinking with the other three personality traits. Yeah, yeah. please yeah. carry on. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So all those things come, to, come together as a confluence of skill sets enabling you to tell that story. And the key point there is story, being able to take away all the cyber nuances and focus on language that the business can understand. I just have to say, though, 
Whilst I thought the article, and before we move on and we can bring in our third guest, Sarah, who I think now we've managed to sort out some of the technical issues we were experiencing. I think the problem I've got now is that, you know, all three of us agree that these are good skills for the job. But when we talk about over-specking something, mm. we've just, you know, these are big asks for people. For someone to be creative and analytical, problem-solving, with critical thinking, working the team, independent. You know, we still want it all, it seems to me. And, he, and we agree that we do. What manager wouldn't? You know, what leader wouldn't? It's yeah. to be debated and we're going to carry on doing it. But before I go and introduce Samir and bring him onto our main topic today, we do have a question in our chat from Paul, who says, uh, is the problem around this overinflated job spec perhaps a case of the old and bold attitude mm -hmm. of back in my day, we needed this and that. Why should new entrants have it easy? Or do they feel it belittles hard work years ago achieving qualifications? Is it that, do we think, Mike, first, maybe? Is it because we're like, well, why should they come in? I had to get a million certs and I never got a break. I don't know. It's Again, it's one of them things that if you look back sort of, again, cybersecurity as an industry is relatively sort of junior. But years ago when people were doing cybersecurity, they didn't have the certifications to get into it and things like that. That sort of, that's a secondary market that's sort of, growing in parallel is, as the cyber yeah. skill shortage grows so i think there's there's probably is some of that sort of you've got to be in the trenches and you've got to have seen things to join but i think a lot of it is just that it's still a little bit unknown and because cybersecurity is a very broad topic if you were to google cybersecurity job descriptions you could probably pull up three or four security analyst roles and have three or four completely different things packed out okay. and there's that sort of i think it's because it's that broad you're looking at sort of Instead of looking at, like, say, a Java developer, well, what do we need you to do programming Java? It's mm. sort of, it's that broad of a topic that there's a lot to try and condense into maybe three or four lines, which could be why they're overinflated and then alienating people. Do you know, I think that's such a good point. And I think it ties in with Andy's point. You know, these big assets, because we are no longer in that silo. We have got to speak, talk the talk and, you know, like you said, speaking the language business understands. So I can see where we're sort of perhaps over-specking it ever so slightly. Well, that's the article. As you can tell, folks, it's a very interesting one. There's certainly an awful lot uh, to think about in that article. As I say, it's from Tech Republic. It was all about the report from IC Square about recruiting strategies. Um, have a look at it. It's been posted by our lovely Tice Goblin in the private chat we are still having a couple of issues i think bringing in sammy so we are going to go now just with andy and mike and if sammy gets on we will have a chat in a minute but really we're talking about this all the time because we're talking about our main topic today which is redesigning the cybersecurity recruitment strategy like completely redesigning the strategy i think i'd love to have the word completely in front of today's topic because i do think this is something we're all dealing with first mm -hmm. of all let, let's just go to both of our lovely panelists and just talk about the cyber skills shortage which comes up every, all the time oh we do have summer uh, hi summer how are you can you hear us? I think I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm so glad that we managed to sort your tech out, and we're just moving on to our main topic today. So it's very nice to, to have you on the show. Let's uh, go to maybe Andy Giles first from Nationwide. Just thinking about this, um, is the skill shortage impacting on you? What's been your experience? Is it getting any better? So I suggest that the skill, the skills um, shortage. 
I think it's a well-defined <coughs> issue. <coughs> Pardon me. And it's across all technology, not just cyber. Uh. So that's an issue. I think we probably see it in, in two distinctive elements that, that affect us. And the first thing is the salary competitiveness. And the second one, which is linked to the first, of course, is retention. Yeah. Now, getting people to apply isn't really an issue. Uh, getting the right people and behaviours, to Mike's point, is absolutely um, a component. But we are finding that the, the salary expectations are are, um, are a significant inhibitor. Okay. Okay. Uh, Mike, how about yourself? Uh, the article did say, it did say that uh, job satisfaction prevents migration at senior level that people are happy and enjoy the jobs and they don't want to migrate it's just maybe at the lower levels uh, do you agree with that or, or, or is what andy said more more pertinent yeah i think it's one of them things that retention there's so many core factors to if someone wants to stay are they burning out are they doing 16 hours a day every day just to keep sort of the head above water and after a while that does start to grind down on someone um are people reaching out to them and going, well, I'm going to pay you more money to do this? I think that's um, it's it, active for headhunting yeah. all the time. And there's um, When you receive your compensation, you should, well, I think a lot of people look at it on the, the value that you are to the company. That's how much value they hold in you. So if someone's coming along and offering you more money, it's not necessarily the, I'm going to pay you more to do the same thing. It's that we're going to value your position higher than your current employer. And in some cases, people can make quite a lot more money and it's that yeah. sort of, as much as your culture might be great and your sort of job satisfaction could be, everything could be above board, the, the contrast in some sort of salary roles that you see is that board that you can expect someone to go, okay, well, I'm going to make a 50% increase. It's a hard it's a hard thing to say no to. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about culture quite a bit in a minute. But first, let's, let's ask uh, Samir Adi. I hope I'm saying that more or less right, Samir. Uh, joining us from Greenshield, Canada. Uh, What's your experience of the cyber skills shortage? Is it something that affects your role, your organization? It's definitely impacting us at Green Shield and in Canada in general, same as it, uh, it's impact uh, everybody else. Uh, we struggle actually to find the right resources. And I'm not talking about uh, junior people versus senior people in security, but in general, uh, there is uh, this is this is a very rare I will call it uh, skill sets that is required uh, with uh, with the time we are in now, and we struggle same as everybody else. Like I don't want to say no, we are we are out of that dilemma. And we have a full team stacked of security professionals. I actually have certain positions opened in my in my department, and I'm I'm trying to fill those positions for months now at least. I would say. So yeah, it's, it's impacting us same as as, uh, as everybody else. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously very real for the industry. It's always something that comes up over and over again on panels and everything else. Um, Andy, maybe moving outside of your role and just what you see as the industry, do you think the industry actively looks to proper diverse, diversity and inclusion strategies as the answer, or do you think we pay a lot of lip service and don't actually do it very well? I think it depends on the organisation. All right. So if I go back to the um, the points around the inflation of, of job specs, right? Mm -hmm. It depends on what the, the awareness of the organisation is, right? So if you've got a fairly small organisation or, or an SME, 
Um, it's not uncommon to see unrealistic job specs. So, for example, I saw one recently that said we're, we're looking for a CISO to do all of our security risk management, but also to manage firewalls. Well, that role doesn't exist, right? So, so it's about knowing about what you're hiring for. Mm. What we had earlier, I think. I think the the certifying bodies in the organisation have a stake in maintaining that infrastructure of certifications, which I do value in order to professionalize what was uh, a fairly um, varied landscape back in the kind of mid 2010s. Mm-hmm. So I think we're understanding that diversity across the different range of skill sets is important, but I think we're definitely on a journey to that. I think there's also something to consider around university courses as well. All the things you described around those soft skills, if you like, those analytical skills, are actually taught in, in main universities. But main universities that teach cyber, they mainly show students that the route through to employability is, is pen testing. They don't broaden awareness around all the range and spectrum of roles that we know are very varied and of different technical depths throughout the, the industry. So I think there's an issue in, in education as well, but it does require folks like ourselves in industry to reach out proactively to education to raise awareness. I think Mike's an- analogy of um, legal folks is another great example because actually legal people are probably more analytical at source than, than most other people are. Uh, you would you would think so. You would definitely think so. Uh Samir, I mean, what about you? Do you think that the industry is proactive enough in expanding its diversity programmes to get recruits in from different backgrounds, cultures, professions? I think we are based on what we see from organisations. As the previous speaker said, we are uh, everybody now go going with diversity and equity and uh, and all those nice uh, programs and we are actually as a security recruiters part of those programs so we are looking at, at all of those backgrounds all of those uh, programs we have in place even though this did not help us a lot actually fixing the uh, original problem which is finding uh, qualified security resources to work with us so I don't want to look at those problems uh, as the saviors. Yes, we love inclusion. Yes, we love to expand on those projects and, and have people from different backgrounds within the group. But unfortunately, this is, did not help us. Like Not with my current employer nor the previous employer. Actually, we were able to backfill those positions if we expanded uh, our inclusion programs. I think also the same thing. Some of the people have actually a stake and not introducing a lot of security professionals to the business, like the, the bodies who keep certifications and the bodies who keep their revenue stream coming from becoming a certified this in security, a certified that in security. And unfortunately, we are in a place where if you don't have 22 security certificates in your profile, nobody will even talk to you. And this is, this is a big part of the problem. And I tell people this is not the way how we should proceed with hiring the, the right resources for uh, for the security uh, organizations. Mike, I mean that's it's damning to hear it, Mike. You know, it's still a reality clearly out there for all we've said about certifications. 
with the so this is where it's a bit of a warped perspective for myself so um with you with me is all about that potential over experience so when we're mm-hmm. talking about diversity part of our mission statement is to solve underemployment in groups of people that might struggle to be employed otherwise um like neurodivergent individuals um yeah. native or aboriginal people things like that that would traditionally get missed for numerous different reasons it could be that during a face-to-face interview someone doesn't feel comfortable or isn't as possible as potentially someone else um and that's where our model of we do some asymmetric testing we look at someone's personality and then we've done away with cvs it's all about that sort of okay well we know you've got a neurodiversity well let's make accommodations for that and pull out the strengths that you're sort of uh, exemplifying and things like that and i think yeah. the the diversity and inclusion sort of piece it's just opening it up to Again, if you get a CV and it's from someone who's got dyslexia and there's a few typos and a few spelling mistakes and things that they may may or may not have picked up on, well, that shouldn't be a bottom of the pile. It should be a, okay, this person may or may not have dyslexia. This is, and it's that, I think there's a lot of judgment in that sort of single piece of paper. I mean, I'm dyslexic and sent out a CV. I had, I think, well, the L and the E or the L and the H were incorrect and the hiring manager straight up, oh, there's a typo in this. And yeah, I could have looked at that two or three days and I'd never have seen the two letters because they just I didn't see them. And that was the the one bit of feedback was, yep, you've got these two letters the wrong, the wrong way around. And I thought, great, great, thank you. And then they were like, you should rectify that. And I think that the, the, the older model of having the CV is, I mean, it's a, it's a broken metric. It was invented hundreds of years ago. And you've got this piece of paper that's sort of how you're selling yourself to an organization. This piece of paper then tends to get pulled through an automated system and extracted through keywords, which means if you're not necessarily hitting them keywords, you're not going to get put in sort of in front of anyone. Yeah. I think it's that we need that human touchback and sort of getting CVs and going, okay, well, they might not have everything we're asking for, but here's the little bit of bio about them. This is what they've done in their spare time. And this is, and it's that about passion and getting that sort of getting people because you're hiring for people, albeit you're filling a role, you're hiring a person. I, I feel that, I mean, I think that's all really good comments and I think trying hard, but I think one of the issues that we've got is that the industry doesn't go to, if you like, diverse uh, recruitment companies. If You know, if we've got to surely the effort to bring that in, to try and sweep up talent that we can then train. The responsibilities with the hiring companies to make sure that they push for, you know, minority uh, recruitment companies companies who specialize in doing exactly that mike you know and and, and saying right you know we, we specialize in getting people from minority backgrounds or from diverse backgrounds or neurodiversity um neurodiverse backgrounds into professions because we know that certainly there are certain people in neurodiverse labels on them if you like and i don't want to be the person to do it but who are especially suited and enjoy certain types of work i think the responsibilities with the with the hiring companies to do it more and to make sure they use diverse recruitment process, processes uh, and companies so that it's, it's, it's a very active process. Um, you know, throwing that open to Samir and Andy, uh, would you agree with that? Do you think that we're a fault for not trying hard enough? Go on, Samir, go after. Samir? Yeah, I think it's it's not it's not actually like I understand the recruiters or, or, or hiring managers need to go to agencies or, or external recruiters and 
I would love actually to have those specialized recruiting agencies where they are working on different backgrounds and different and different different uh, different uh, uh, different minorities. I would call it in Canada. We are very famous for immigration, and I always support, for example, new immigrants coming to Canada and get a job. So when I interview somebody, I would put that and say this is the first opportunity this is the first chance for those people to to get a job i came as an immigrant to canada myself and i remember the struggle having actually being introduced to a hiring manager to get a job and we end up in a place where i don't want to i don't want to have somebody else have the same uh, challenge i had no. so i support uh, i support that design looking to the people from the hiring agencies i don't think until this play until this time we have hiring agencies where they work with a specific group of people where they can actually enhance or improve our inclusion programs mm. at the end of the day they care about having five six profiles presented to the hiring manager and shortlist them to three and whatever get somebody hired so they get their commission we at green shield actually we start forcing our requirements to be sure that we will have resumes and profiles from different backgrounds. We will actually be pushing for the inclusion program to mm. be across all the departments and all the hiring managers and all hiring agencies we have. And we look at, can I hire this person? And even if he did not meet 100% of the job requirement, and give him the chance internally or externally to get trained and get blend and get 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 equipped with the tools they uh, they need to do the job. This is we definitely encourage. This is definitely something we have within within our systems and and we push for as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, Andy, you wanted to come in, but I think it's difficult. You've got to push for it. Then we've got to rule out unconscious bias. Maybe bias training is going to help our you know our industry. Um, you know, to, to to avoid this and to do what we say we're going to do, because clearly the industry as a whole isn't, you know, getting the results that we all want and need and talk about. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, in, ter in terms of specialist recruitment companies, I think there's broadly supportive of the, the intent, but I think there's a fine line to be, sort of walk there between using that kind of service and being seen to be tokenist. That's it's really important that we're yeah, not... Yeah, it's not just recruitment. I know what you mean, and it, and I think that's a massive danger. And I think one of the things that we have to do is make sure that we represent as businesses uh, mm -hmm. in a very thoughtful way. I didn't just mean recruitment companies. You know, it's the forums as well. We can make sure that we're visible on certain yeah. forums um, as opposed to just the mainstream that maybe perhaps is not going to catch anyone's eye. So yeah, recruitment companies and a broader net, I guess, was my point. Yeah, that, that's fair. And, and it's worth coming back to the unconscious bias point. So one thing we do at Nationwide is we are now mandated um, to, to put together what we call uh, diverse into panels. So that means that me as a cybersecurity person uh, interviews with somebody else from the team, but somebody else is not from the team. And, and what's really interesting about that is there have been a number of interviews that I've been on now where we have not seen something that somebody else that is not from cybersecurity has spotted. Mm. And what that's really, really powerful on is that it, it really calls out your unconscious bias. 
Now, lots of us like to think that unconscious bias doesn't exist. It absolutely does. And when someone in the room who's not from your background is there, you see it really vividly. Mm. Um, and we measure that. We measure how many uh, DIPs we run in our specific area and we're held to account for it as well, which is one way of overcoming that from an organisational perspective. Yeah. But I take your point of the wider recruitment industry, and it comes back to what Samir was saying, they want to get ahead with certs on the board so they can get the shortlist done quickly and get a commission in the bag. And, and until we overcome that, become more selective in our approach, I think this will be a persistent issue. You know, I, and I'm not, this is not aimed at Andy, but I think that, again, this is our fault. This is not aimed at Andy's uh, good answer to the question. But when we stop, when we stop hiring people based on that process, we start throwing that back and saying, no, we want it more thorough. As yeah. an industry, as the companies in the industry, that's when it's going to stop because it's driven by fees. So if we accept that as being okay, then it's always mm -hmm. going to be the case. I wanted to come to Mike just for a minute, um, just because we're you know we're going to fast run out of time as we always do on Ty's talk. Um, I do have a couple of questions to come up in a minute, but this is a kind of a, a thorny one. And Mike brought up the the topic of culture and you know feeling someone in your gut. Um, a lot of the time, Mike, and you've said it yourself, and I've said it uh, in previous interviews, we're looking for people who fit in with the team and have got the certain behaving, maybe the values that we share. But there's a real issue there about not hiring people who challenge us. And Andy's just brought up that great point about, well, you know, you've got, we've got to be challenged. We don't know everything. There is a problem there, isn't there, between getting somebody fits for the culture, but then hiring people who we know that we're going to get on with, maybe we need to be challenged more. I'm not sure what the question is here. I just wonder what your thoughts were. So I think um, you have to look at everyone as an individual and there isn't any one size fits all. So you might have people on your team that respond really well to like kinetic learning. They like just getting their hands stuck onto things and doing. Mm. You might have people that are more audio or visual and you mm. sit there and you give a presentation and you explain things that way and that's how they dub. And I think it's that, You've got to take it back and look at each person as an individual I and mean, ask them, what's the best way for me to either mentor you or to convey information to you? Do you want a two-page document that you can sit and read and consume yourself? Do you want a demonstration? Do you want me to sort of sit on a call with you whilst you go through it? And it's that personal touch that I think really helps because then you it removes that sort of one-size-fits-all. Okay, someone may not be adapting as well to just sitting there for videos. Like when you do um, security awareness training once a year and you sit there for a two-hour video, some people might switch off. Some people yeah. might be better with an interactive question, PowerPoint. And it's just that looking at everyone as an individual and not just a, a number. Okay. Thank you, mate. Well, look, we're, going, we're coming to the end, Samir. I thought uh, I'd put this question that's come up in our Q&A to yourself first. And it's from Ugo, who says, have you thought about job sharing inside roles? Uh, combination of managers and technical skilled staff in order to fulfil positions could be a temporary measure. I think that hybrid working, that more flexible uh, arrangements that a lot of companies have tried out after the pandemic, that could be an answer. I mean, I've written it down here, flexible, remote, parents, carers, people with physical or mental issues who have problems maybe with schedules. Is that the answer? Is it that we've got to be more flexible in how people work? Do you think, Summer? So, uh, and sorry, you, you broke up a couple of times during the question, but I, I think we are talking about how we can backfill security positions internally or, sorry, how we can deal with the positions based on the COVID outcome. I was talking about maybe hybrid or job sharing those roles 
might fulfill the position temporarily. You fully broke out on that. So we are in a place now, I think, and Elon Musk gave us everybody a good free lesson, I would say. So if we are forcing everybody to go back to the office, definitely we will be losing good chunk of our employees. Uh, work from home myself for almost two full years, and I like it, frankly speaking. Uh, I like to come to the office once in a while just to get out of the house and then be mm-hmm. uh, be interacting with people in person and, and like it. So going back to you are full-time employee at the office is not going to fly anymore. I can no. promise you that. You are pushing towards that, 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 that way of doing uh, of working from the office, I don't. I think you would be yourself. Uh, fully remote is also have some some pros and cons in that one. But being in a hybrid model where you allow people to pick certain days that they will come to the office, be with their teams, do more of a collaboration in person because the tools prove that we can do collaboration online. This is not an excuse anymore. No. So you want to be in a place where the sweet spot come to the office a couple of days, work from home a couple of days, and then you can manage your your responsibilities, your kids in the summertime, and any other thing you want to do. So I think the hybrid is is the way to work moving forward. It's not one or the other. Thank you, Samir. Uh, Andy, maybe you could take this question that came in from Chris. Uh, how much input did InfoSec, did you from InfoSec, Having the development of your organization's inclusion and diversity plan. Oh, it's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> I can't imagine it was much just yet. I'm sure we're trying to get more involved. Maybe we're a good department to, to spearhead it, Andy. Who knows? I mean, as much as I'd love to say that we are front and centre and leading the charge, I, I'd be I'd be fibbing, I'm afraid. So I think it's fair to say that the the CISRO, our, so our Chief Security Resilience Officer, would have been consulted on, on that. Um, because it is discussed at our, you know, our SLT within our technology organisation. Yeah. Um, but what we are doing is making sure that, you know, in my case, I'm sitting on the uh, diversity and inclusion, uh, diverse interview panels working groups, so I can be seen to be supporting those guys to, to raise the, the profile of the conversation. That's the first thing. Um, and also making sure that when we are hiring people in, whether temporarily or otherwise, that we are looking for diversity when they display the appropriate characteristics that would give them the best chance of success in the job um, and ensuring that those people are recognised, uh, again, in an, in an untokenized way. Um, I think there is a bit of a, a tendency for some people who are slightly more senior or have been in the industry longer to maybe treat diversity and inclusion as a bit of an optional extra. I don't think that's true anymore. I don't think that's fair anymore to, to people. And frankly, if this country writ large wants to be popular, wants to be popular, wants to be successful and trade effectively post Brexit, frankly, we need to get better at being diverse across all industries, not just cybersecurity. Oh well, very well said. Well, look, we are coming up to the end of the show. It ended up being a lot about diversity, but really, I always feel that this is part of the answer to the recruitment issues that we have is that we've got to find ways to get more people into it. We've got uh, comments from a uh, lot of our Tice talkers here, but a one from Aluma who said, job shadowing is something we've trialled to expose colleagues to cyber roles. And we have more questions from Paul. 
and from Benjamin. Lots too many for this, uh, really. Uh, but I want to say thank you to all our Tuesday Tags talkers for all uh, of their lovely comments and questions. I think Hugo wins the fabulous Tags Talk cooler bag today for his or her comments. I'm not sure of pronouns there. And I want to say thank you to my lovely panel, to Andy Giles, to Mike Johnson and to Samir Adi. It was lovely that we had you join us, Samir, even though we had some connection issues, uh, but I do appreciate it. I want to say thank you to the Tice Talk team for managing this so well every week and also again to my Tice Talkers. We'll see you next Tuesday, but on Thursday we do have Jeff White back and he is talking on the 14th July at 1600 UK about building resilience to ransomware, which is always one that we always uh, get a lot of participation on. Don't forget Tice Talk Live on the 8th of September in London with all your favourite Tice Talk topics panellists and me and Jeff hosting, or Jeff and I hosting. Um, but that's all for today, apart from my final thought as host, which is a quote from George Bernard Shaw that says, he who knows nothing and think he knows everything points to a clear path in politics. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs> Many thanks. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.